there was a, uh, a traveler who had been traveling for some time and he kind of wandered off the, the path, the regular road, and he became lost in the desert. And two weeks had gone by and he was just exhausted and finally saw this house on the horizon and he, he barely managed to make it and he collapsed on the back porch. Well, it was a missionary's house and uh, the missionary came out, heard the noise and came out and saw him and brought him into his home and kind of nurtured him back to health. And when he was ready to travel again, the, the, the young traveler asked, you know, would you give me directions so I could get back to the nearest town? And he said, sure. And he gave him some directions. And as he left the house, he, he noticed that there was a horse tied up outside the house. And he said, hey, w- would it be possible for me to use your horse to get back to the town? And I'll send him back once I get there. And the missionary thought about it and said, well, yeah, sure, but he's, he's kind of a special horse. I, I've trained him a little differently. In fact, if you want him to go, you have to say, thank God. And if you want him to stop, you say, amen. And he thought about it. And he said, oh, okay, I think I can do that. And so he got up on the horse and, and he said, thank God. And the horse started walking and heading towards town. He thought, this is, this is working pretty good. And he says, I wonder what would happen if I said, thank God, thank God. Well, sure enough, the horse started trotting, you know, going a little faster. And he got all excited. And he's like, okay, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. And man, that horse was just, you know, galloping at full blast. And he's running along. And all of a sudden, he sees that they're coming up to this cliff. And he's like, oh, no, I got to stop him somehow. I got, whoa, whoa, horsey, stop, stop. Oh, and he remembered, amen. And the horse just skidded to a stop just a few inches short of the cliff. And the guy sat back in the saddle and said, oh. Thank God. (laughs) Well, this morning, I thank God for you all. And I thank God for Wayside's commitment to reach out to the world globally, to a commitment to reach out globally and locally. You know, it's in the nature and it's the foundation of the church to join in God's mission to bring the message of reconciliation to a lost world. Next week, we're going to look at God's heart throughout Scripture for the nations and the tribes of the world as Dr. Craig Ott comes and speaks to us. But there's still this tremendous unfinished task that we are a part of, and that's one reason why we've partnered with about over 40 missionaries to be sent out as ambassadors for Christ into a cross-cultural ministry context. But what about you and I? What's our ministry context? You know, for most of us, our ministry context is, is right here. It's where we, where we work and where we live and where we shop and, and um, where we raise our families. So this morning, I want to look uh, together a little bit at the city, at our city. I love the city. Uh, growing up in, outside of Chicago, I remember just how much I enjoyed going into the city and, and exploring and getting to know it. And Chicago is a beautiful place. It has this gorgeous lakefront and some uh, you know, amazing fountains and uh, awesome architecture, the standard oil building with these it's marble slabs on the outside and the, the broad shoulders of the Sears Tower and the food. I mean, the food in Chicago. And you can get food from any country in the world there. Uh, Italian beef, Polish sausage, Greek gyros, mangoes with chili pepper on them on a stick. You can get the Chicago dog, of course. And Chicago's kind of broken up into all these ethnic neighborhoods. And so it's this kind of patchwork around the city, which is great for being able to find ethnic food, but it's not so good when it comes to uniting uh, diverse peoples together. And it tends to have greater challenges for poverty and prejudice. 
You know, when you, when you look at the globe, the city continues to grow tremendously, the whole sense of urbanization. It's said that over 200,000 people a day, 200,000 people a day move from rural parts of the world into urban parts of the world. That's just amazing. There's over 500 cities that are of 1 million people or more. 35 cities that are called megacities that are 25, or sorry, 10 million people or more. Can you kind of get your mind even around 10 million people? I can't even imagine that. Uh, 54% of the world's population of the 7 billion people in the world now today live in urban settings. If we were to do that here, if we were the, herb, the world population represented here, you know, right the center aisle, you all live in the city, you all live in rural areas. Um, in 2050, it's estimated that 75% of the world from this aisle all the way over will live in urban context. The Bible is also filled with the story of cities as well. And the city is mentioned over 1,200 times in Scripture. Cain was the one who built the first city. You remember that? Back in Genesis chapter 4. He named it after his son, Enoch. Um, there's wonderful cities, cities of refuge in Scripture like Hebron. And there's also cities that were plagued with sin and were destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Then there's Jerusalem, originally named Salem. David kind of made that the capital of Israel and the home of the temple. And even in Jesus' time, though Jerusalem was occupied by Rome, it was still the center of Jewish religious and cultural activity. But it too had strayed from a righteous place. In Matthew 23, 37, we read, Jesus looked out over Jerusalem just before he was crucified and he lamented, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's the heart of Jesus for the people of the city. He says, yet you are not willing. There's other examples of the city. Certainly in the New Testament, we think of Antioch and Corinth and Athens and Rome and even the New Jerusalem. Ray Bakke, who's an urban missiologist, says this. He says, the story of salvation began in the garden and ends in the city. The purpose of God is not to return to the garden, but to go on to the restored or redeemed city. You see, I think God's heart for the lost throughout all of history and all the world has always included the city, and it includes San Antonio as well. San Antonio is an amazing city. Do you all love living here in San Antonio? It is just a fantastic city, and we have this very eventful history throughout San Antonio, too. Just as you look back in 1691, when um, the Spanish began to come through this area, and they named the river in the area after San Antonio de Padua. Uh, 1821, Mexico earns its independence from um, Spain, and that included Texas. In 1824, remember Stephen Austin uh, got a grant from Mexico to begin colonizing Texas. 1836, March 6th, just passed, of, of course, the famous Battle of the Alamo that began our fight for independence. In 1845, the United States annexed Texas and sparked the American-Mexican War. In 1939, the Riverwalk began construction. And of course, in 1973, the Dallas Chaparrales became the San Antonio Spurs, that's right. <laughs> San Antonio is growing by about 90,000 people a year. That is tremendous growth that we are still doing. Um, I don't know if you know, but in, in the Stone Oak area, there's about 50,000 new families that have 
migrated into, into that area trying to escape the violence in, in Mexico. These Mexican families have come to, to, to find a place of safety for, to raise their families. About a year ago, we started partnering with a, a, a church plant, a free church here, called Enlace Cristiano. And their heart is to really reach out, particularly to that group of migrants that are here in San Antonio right now as a Spanish-speaking congregation. San Antonio is the seventh largest municipality in the United States now. 1.4 million, more or less, is the estimate of how large San Antonio is right now. We are a growing and diverse city with a colorful history that is highlighted by change, by immigration, by our Mexican heritage and our, our fight for freedom. Urbanologists tell us another way to kind of get a handle on your context of the city is to think about just the heritages and the, the different zones that take place within a city. We have certainly a very strong spiritual heritage in San Antonio. The Alamo, of course, was the first mission back in 1716 that was started as one of five missions by Franciscan brothers who, who came um, to establish the Catholic Church and to find a platform to share um, Christianity with the diverse Indian population here. Then there was San Jose and Espada and Concepcion and San Juan that followed. The San Fernando Cathedral right downtown started in 1738. There's over 92 Catholic churches now spread throughout our city, and about 63% of San Antonio would consider themselves from a Catholic background. But Protestants also came to this area very early as well. Just about a decade after the fall of the Alamo, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, and an atheist all stepped into the old county courthouse. And the Methodist said, no, nah, it's not a joke. <laughs> True story. Um, John Wesley de Vilbus, a Methodist missionary, and John McCullough, a Presbyterian missionary, um, came in 1846 and held services, and they alternated preaching in the old county courthouse. I imagine there were some atheists that were part of that as well. But just that same year, um, McCullough started First Pres downtown, and uh, de Vilbus started Travis uh, Park Method or, yeah, Methodist Church downtown as well. In 1862, First Baptist Church started downtown. And in 1960, Wayside Chapel um, began as a partnership between Fairview Evangelical Free Church on the south side and Independent Vance Jackson Baptist Church uh, here in this area as well. September 11th, 1960 was Wayside's first kind of formal uh, meeting as a church. When you think of the spiritual heritage in San Antonio, you have to think about the Latin American influence, the Catholic Church, and par partnerships between the Protestants. Today, there's also a growing number of other beliefs here, 22 Mormon churches, a growing Muslim community of 10 to 14,000, 12 different prayer um, gathering places around the city. And yesterday, we had um, Fuad Masri, who uh, led us in this Bridges Conference to, to learn how to build bridges of friendships with our Muslim neighbors and friends, a fantastic opportunity that we had. Realizing that to build a friendship with a Muslim takes time. Um, it's not a transitional um, action of evangelism, but rather a relational form of evangelism. But Muslims uh, have never heard a, uh, a presentation of a, the true gospel from authentic Christians. And it's an opportunity for us to be engaged in that way. Uh, San Antonio also has a tremendous military heritage as well. The Presidio de Bear, which is really <clears throat> at the Alamo, um, was uh, really started as the, the seat of government. And it was the headquarters of military powers for, for many years during the colonial era. 
Fort Sam Houston started in about 1849. It was established in 1891. Then the, the army built Camp Bolas and um, Stanley and Wilson and Travis and Kelly and Brooks Airfields began at the turn of the century um, and became the training center for army aviators, later Lackland and Randolph. Um, this past um, Valentine's Day, we had the opportunity to join with hundreds of others uh, from around our community to welcome Anson and Minnie Curry into a new home that um, home, uh, it's called Building Homes for Heroes had built for them. Anson had suffered um, a very bad injury in Afghanistan, and it was such a blessing to see our community come together um, to, to bless them with this new home, and Anson and Minnie kind of redid their vows that day. But San Antonio is known as, what, Military City USA, because we have a great appreciation and respect for our military veterans and active duty men and women and their families. We have a tremendous military heritage here in San Antonio. We also have a medical heritage. Book Army Medical Center, BAMSI, was started in 1879. Um, Today, it's a state-of-the-art facility. 2007, the Center for the Intrepid uh, began serving um, those with critical needs that were wounded in military service. The Baptist Health System began in 1903 and now has five acute care hospitals. South Texas Medical Center, I mean, 45 separate medical, dental, nursing schools, five higher education institutions, 12 hospitals, and five specialty institutions there. Many of you serve as doctors and nurses and educators and researchers and dentists in this area. Higher education in San Antonio. I was uh, astounded. There's over 110,000 students studying higher education in San Antonio. When you look at UTSA and its growth, the five Alamo colleges, Trinity, Incarnate Word, Texas A&M, Our Lady of the Lake, a tremendous um, student population here in San Antonio. And yet 20% of San Antonians don't have their high school diploma. We heard a little bit earlier from some of our teachers at uh, Colonial Hills Elementary School. You know, one of the reasons why we're there is to help make a difference in these children's lives so that they can make a difference in the future. And many of you serve as teachers uh, around town and are investing your lives to make a difference in theirs. In our very local community, we have Castle Hills. Castle Hills, this area really began to develop in the late 1940s, and it was incorporated in 1951. Uh, About 4,200 residents, 600 uh, medium and small businesses here in our immediate community. It tends to be an aging population, um, but about six years ago, Wayside was one of the founding partners for the Castle Hills Fiesta. Uh, Castle Hills Fiesta was really started as an alternative to the the crowded downtown Fiesta celebration and meant to be a family-friendly time to really unite the Castle Hills community. And it's been a great opportunity each year to get out, to have some fun, to enjoy some food, and they have a a 5K run. We do a a wonderful parade and a great time just to kind of meet our neighbors and to begin to build some friendships and relationships with them. That's coming up, actually, um, Saturday, April 18th. And so I want to invite you to come over to the Commons and enjoy the Castle Hills Fiesta with us. But, you know, our city has challenges as well. Um, We have financial poverty. Almost 20% of San Antonians live below the poverty line. That's huge. That's higher than the state average. 
There's nutritional poverty. Last week we were meeting with a woman that was talking to us about 120,000 children that are, fall into a category of what they call they live with food um, insufficiency and insecurity. Um, oftentimes that happens over the weekends where they go home and they don't know if they're going to eat well. At schools feed them during the week, but on the weekends the parent might not have enough food for their whole family. And so she's developed a program called Snack Pack for Kids that we're looking into seeing how we can partner with that. Physical poverty. Half of those that are under the poverty line here in San Antonio live in physically deficient housing and they're in great need of repair. So we started a partnership with Blueprint Ministries downtown. Their mission is to express the love of Christ through the restoration of homes within the 410 Loop area. This last week, our students were uh, there painting houses and um, just engaged in different aspects of ministry here in our city and really opening the doors for our future work at uh, Blueprint. In fact, there's another team going in April, and we're going to have a big event later this fall that you'll hear more about. We also work with the San Antonio Metro Ministries and their transitional housing just on Blanco Street. We've got a team that serves there. We're looking for new ways that we can partner together with them. You know, when I think of the different sectors of influence uh, around our city, I thank God for the many different ways that Wayside is engaged in serving in each of those ministries. And we want to continue to grow that emphasis and that capacity to serve our city. We're not ready yet to say amen. We're still on the thank God, thank God, let's go forward. Well, you know, cities offer um, great promise, but they're also faced with great challenges. There are places that can be opportunities, but also places of oppression. And they stir up either a sense of adventure or a sense of overwhelming fear. I remember shortly after Diane and I were married, we moved into the inner city of Chicago, the near west side. We started working with an organization called Circle Urban Ministry. She was a nurse and working in their clinic. And as an architect, I was helping rehab some of the abandoned housing around the area. And I still remember very clearly one uh, dark fall night. We had been at a meeting at the center. And we were coming out and walking down the steps towards the, the sidewalk. There's a busy street there. And um, this, this, this man comes up to us. You know, we had kind of learned what it meant to live in a, in a poor neighborhood with um, problems and, and drug issues, and we'd learned to be cautious because of that. A lot of the apartment buildings around were crack houses, and the homeless lived there. And so as we, as we stepped down onto the sidewalk, this, this large young man comes up to us, and there's an intensity in his eyes, and, and um, you know, kind of just said, hey, to kind of break the tension. I hadn't learned how to say howdy yet, so... Um, <laughs> But he was intense, and he looked at us and says, what are you guys doing here? And, um, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a moment that, that took us back. And, and I got to tell you, I, I was scared. I mean, inside there was some fear there. I, I, this guy was a big guy. He's a young guy. And I, I knew that if things got out of hand, well, I mean, Diana would, was faster than me. She, you know, she'd, be, she'd be out, there and I'd be left all by myself. We finally kind of got up some courage and just said, uh, um, well, we work here at Circle Urban Ministry, and, and our lives have been forever changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're excited to be able to tell other people about that. Well, Charles, his name Charles, began to share his story with us. He'd been in and out of prison since he was a, a teenager. The, the scars on his wrists showed of the times that he had tried to commit suicide. He had no job. He had no friends. 
he had no hope. And in fact, that day, that very night, he said he was on his way to commit suicide when he ran into us. Well, I don't know. Um, maybe it was curiosity on, on Charles's part to, to see a couple of white guys in his neighborhood that, that drew him to come to us. Maybe it was uh, Diane and I, my conviction that we were there with a purpose to be able to share Christ that, that allowed us to kind of stay in the moment and begin that conversation. But really, we knew that it was God who had brought us together and allowed us to overcome the fear that we had felt. God opened the door for a new friendship that night with Charles. So why am I telling you this story? When you think of the city, when you think of the challenges of the city, what comes to your mind? Are you fearful of the unknown or are you drawn to make a difference? Are you moved with compassion or a sense of righteous anger? You know, in Scripture, we really find both of those things. This morning, I want to briefly revisit the story of Jonah. Now, when you think of Jonah, the book that bears his name has a lot of discussion around some of the the things that took place in the book. And Roger did a great series uh, about a year and a half ago, December of 2013. So it might be worth going back and, and revisiting that. But this morning, I want to look at Jonah from the point of view of the city. How does a just God deal with a city filled with sinful and rebellious people? And what can we learn about different, the different responses in the story? In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadi. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. Now, Nineveh was a large city. It was located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River uh, in modern day, or across the river from modern day Mosul in Iraq. Um, We learn later in chapter 4 that there was over 120,000 people living there. And to give you a comparison, Samaria at that time, which was considered a large city, had about 30,000 people. So really, Nineveh is a mega city in its day. It was also known as the great city of the Syrian Empire. Assyria was one of the the great powers of the ancient world. It was prosperous and productive, but the Assyrians were known for their brutality. And their kings were often depicted as gloating over the gruesome um, punishments that they had inflicted upon their enemies when they conquered them. And Assyria was also an enemy of Israel. As far back as... uh, Uh, 845 B.C., they had begun taking Israel's land and exacting tribute from them. Nineveh was also a very sinful city. Listen to what the prophet Naum describes about Nineveh's sins. He says this in chapter 3 of Naum. Woe to the city of blood, totally deceitful, full of plunder, never without prey, charging horsemen, flashing sword, shining spear, heaps of slain, mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end. Because of the continual prostitution of the prostitute who betrays the nations by her prostitution and clans by her witchcraft, I am against you. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. To this city, God commands Jonah to get up and go. This bloodthirsty, sinful sin. Jonah was called to go to the the biggest city of Israel's enemy, their pagan enemy, who would you consider is your enemy? Now, I'm not talking about your mother-in-law or your neighbor. Who are our enemies? Who do you consider an enemy, a real threat? 
being honest with myself, I'd have to admit, you know, there are, there are people and there are places that would be very hard to go to and love. What would you do? Why would God ask Jonah to do this? Well, he tells him, he says, to preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me, says the Lord. Make no mistake, God is a holy and just and righteous God, and he cannot tolerate sin. The book of Isaiah, the prophet calls God the holy one over 30 times. Psalm 99.9 says, the Lord our God is holy. And Habakkuk tells us that because God is holy, he can't tolerate sin. He can't even look at sin. You see, God's righteousness demands a fair and just payment without exception. And the payment for our disobedience to God is our death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And, and 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The people of Nineveh needed to be warned about the consequences of their sinfulness and given the opportunity to repent. Isn't the same true for us today? Well, next we get a glimpse of this divergent attitude between God and Jonah as they approach Nineveh. And instead of obeying God's command to go to the city, what does Jonah do? He flees to Tarshish, the exact opposite direction. He wanted nothing to do with these people. And you see, God was reaching out with compassion to the spiritually needy people of this great city. And Jonah was literally running away from them because he didn't want God to have mercy on Israel's pagan enemy. He wanted justice for his enemies. Isn't it hard for us to love and engage people that are different from us? I think of uh, Gladys Guitz. 29 years ago, Gladys is the original director of the Potter's House in Guatemala City. Um, she was asked by some friends to bring some blankets down to the people that lived in the city dump. And as, as she thought about it, she's like, I don't want to spend my Christmas day with going down to the smelly dump with people that scavenge through the, the human and biological refuse of our city. That's zone three. Nobody goes down to zone three. And she thought about all the excuses that she could come up with. Well, it's Christmas Day. I'm going to be with my family. I want to wear my pretty dress around all day long. Well, eventually God worked it out. So the only day that the blankets could be delivered and um, passed out were on Christmas Day. And so Gladys reluctantly went down to the dump to do that. Meeting the people that she now calls treasures um, changed her heart. And so she and a friend began the Potter's House ministry 29 years ago. And they have been serving the, the children and the families that live around this, uh, one of the largest city dumps in all of Latin America. Their staff lovingly shares the good news of Jesus with those because they know the difference it can make, the transformation in their lives when a person repents and, and follows Christ. And over years, they've seen hundreds of people come to know the Lord. You know, Gladys has learned to love people very different than herself. We're going to be sending two teams to the Potter's House later this year, one in July and one in November. Maybe that's something that some of you would like to, to join us with and see how God is at work there. Well, in chapter 2, we read that in the despair of his circumstances, Jonah was inside um, the fish at this point, Jonah acknowledges God's heart to save as well. 
And he cries aloud in verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. He knows that God is the only one that can save. Jesus paid that debt for each one of us that we all owed because of our disobedience to God. His death on the cross was a substitution for ours. Romans 10.9 says that when we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be forgiven and saved from God's judgment. Jonah was given a second chance now to go back, and this time he did. He obeyed. In chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, it says that he got up and went. It says, now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk kind of city. And Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, we don't really know the tone that Jonah used for that, but he did get the message out, right? Albeit with the subtlety of a two-by-four. I can't help but kind of compare Jonah's direct approach with, with that of the Apostle Paul later that we read in 1 Corinthians 9. When Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. See, Paul understood that to reach others with the gospel message, he would have to go to them in a way that they could understand. That was not Jonah's approach. Jonah preached calamity. In 40 days, the party's over. We're done. Direct right in their face. Maybe that was the language that the Assyrians in Nineveh needed to hear. Maybe that was God's direct command to Jonah to say it just that way. We don't know. And I'm not recommending that you start off your conversations that way with your friends. But sometimes we need to hear and we need to understand that calamity and judgment are on their way if we don't repent. What if you knew that tomorrow would bring calamity? How would you live your life differently today? Well, next, a wonderful thing happens. The whole city... The whole city and the king repent. Chapter 3, verse 5. The men of Nineveh believed in God, and they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And God saw their actions, and he, um, he decided not to bring about his judgment. He relented on the disaster that was about to take place. Well, remember Charles from Chicago? Charles's sinful habits and his lifestyle continued to enslave him as we were friends and walked through many different times. And just when we got to the point where we thought Charles was ready to, to relinquish that, to repent from, from his lifestyle, um, he was arrested and put into prison, snatched away, and it felt like he had been taken from us. And yet God did not forget about Charles. God pursued him, even in prison. And a couple years later, we had been away, and a couple years later, we came back and we saw Charles. And you know what? Charles was a new man. He had repented and given his life to Jesus Christ. Well, Jonah was not happy that Nineveh repented. It says he was greatly displeased and he became furious. I knew that you would do this. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in favor, full love, faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Can you imagine? So Jonah 
leaves town and he goes up on a hill and he sets up his little camp on the top of the hill and he sits down and he looks over the city and I think, you know, he's probably waiting to see if they would, you know, turn back to their evil ways and God would come in and destroy them as he, as he should have in the first place. And God kind of has a little bit of mercy still and, and grace for Jonah and so he, he has a plant grow up that brings some shade to him and comfort and, and Jonah's relief for that day and the next day when Jonah gets up, the plant is, is dead. God sent a worm and it ate it up. And Jonah is once again furious and angry. And, and then God asks Jonah, says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he said, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said to him, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and disappeared in a night. Should I not care? about the great city of Nineveh. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from their right, as well as many animals. Jonah was fixated on judging the people for their sin. But God, who rightly demands justice, was seeking their repentance and their salvation. There was a message here for Israel. Jonah and his hearers needed to understand that their personal hatred for the cruel and ungodly actions of other people did not give them the right to withhold the message of grace and truth to them. And on the contrary, God's love and his desire for salvation that he demonstrated to the people of this great city should have been a wake-up call for them to rush in and fill their hearts with compassion to share the good news of repentance and forgiveness. Israel needed to replace her judgmental heart with one full of compassion for the people around them. Is there a message here for you? Who are your enemies? Do you love this great city? Well, I've told you about our short-term teams going to Guatemala, and rightly so, because God has called us to go out into all the world and make disciples of nations. And when we go, we find that there's just a tremendous need there, and we're drawn to this wonderful ministry. And the Potter's House does such a great job of helping us learn about the city and how to love people that are different from us. But friends, for now, you are here. You live here. We are residents of this great city in San Antonio, and God sends us out to be his ambassadors here where we live and work. We are called to love our city as God does. I want to end this morning by ruining what has become one of our favorite wedding traditions, the reading of 1 Corinthians 13. Every time you hear it in the future, I hope that you'll not only think of the couple, but that you will think of Paul's plea for uh, our spirituality to grow to this capacity, to express the love of God to one another in this way, and to express the love of God to our city as well. If you speak, if I speak with human or angelic languages, but do not love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. Friends, we can give away everything we have. We can go serve in every ministry here in town. We can um, 
create new ministries. We can have all the knowledge needed for the the right answers for every question that we're asked. But if we do not have love, we are nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy and is not boastful. It is not conceited. Love does not act improperly. It is not selfish. It's not provoked and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? Father God, we come before you this morning, and um, for some of us, there is a need for some repentance. You are a holy and just and righteous God. Lord, there may be some this morning that are still fighting that battle with you that, that need to recognize we have all sinned and we fall short of what you call us to live by, the standard that you set for us. And there's nothing we can do about that apart from cry out to you and plead, put our faith in Jesus who's paid that price for us. Lord, give us the courage to repent. Some of us have looked at our city and we said, you know what? Those people deserve that. They live there because they're lazy. Their house is like that because they don't care. And, you know, for us, it's just fine that, that they would suffer the consequences of their sin. Lord, forgive us for that judgment. Fill us with your love, Lord, for this city. It is a great city, and we are so thankful for uh, the opportunity to live here. Give us your heart and your eyes to love people as you love them. Lord, not with puffed up words, not with all sorts of actions that aren't backed up by a heart that says, I love you. God loves you. Lord, fill us with your love that we might love others. We recognize, we admit, we don't, we don't have that all the time. We need you to fill us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that just says, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And keeps going out of appreciation uh, for all that you have done for us with hearts filled with, with love for one another and for those around us. And Lord, that you would continue to use Wayside Chapel as a light in this community here in Castle Hills, here in San Antonio, and near and far as well. Thank you for the love that you gave to us through your son, Jesus Christ. He is our example, and he is the one that fills us with the capacity to love our neighbors as you love them. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord, to love and serve one another, and to love and serve your neighbors.